Please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Last week in our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew, we saw Jesus speak of those who do the will of God. And before we start into Matthew chapter 13, I want to take another look at God's will, this time from looking at a prayer that Paul prayed for the believers in the Colossian church about knowing the will of God. Because God's will can be known. And it needs to be the ultimate desire of every believer. So stand with me as we read God's word. We're going to read Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this prayer. We thank you, Lord, that just as Paul and Timothy prayed this for the church at Colossae, we too can pray this prayer for your church today. And Lord, as we look at your word, we pray that you would give us knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we would walk in a manner worthy of you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking today about knowing the will of God. It's a question people ask every day. How do I know what God wants me to do? Before the cross, Jesus prayed to the Father, not my will but yours be done. The early church in the book of Acts often prayed The will of the Lord be done. Jesus gave us instruction in the Lord's prayer to pray to the Father, your will be done. How do you know what God wants you to do in life? How did I know, for example, that I was being led by God, that God wanted me to make the three biggest decisions in my life? To marry Angela in 1991. To go in 1992 from my hometown in Downey, where I was serving at, at the First Baptist Church of Downey as a pastor, uh, to, to Irvine down the road 30 miles uh, to, to uh, be a pastor at Voyager's Bible Church. And, and, in, ni- and in 2006, uh, to leave where I was and to come here to Grace Church and to pastor here. How, how did I know God was leading me in those times, the three biggest decisions of my life. I didn't get a memo from God on any of them, by the way. But how a person discerns the will of God 
is of utmost importance because it affects the daily living of every true disciple of Christ. It affects the body of Christ. So let's look at this prayer of Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. He, it is a prayer that, that believers would know God's will. So it's a good place to be. A, a, a prayer that believers would know what God wants. Paul is writing to believers in the city of Colossae, 100 miles east of Ephesus, in the, in the area where the seven churches of Revelation chapters 1 through 3 were located. The church there was started during Paul's three years of ministry in Ephesus. A few years after the church began, though, a dangerous heresy arose that threatened the church. It's interesting to note that Paul did not start the church in Colossae. It was founded by Epaphras, who came to faith in Christ during a visit to Ephesus. But Paul writes to them from prison sometime between A.D. 60 and 62. And he's writing to them to shore them up, to strengthen them due to this heresy that was really a mixture of, of several different things that sprung up later, full-blown. But it was a mixture, first, of Gnosticism, which, among other things, said that Jesus was not God, and therefore you needed something other than the Word of God and Jesus Christ crucified in order to please God. You needed some secret hidden knowledge above Scripture in order to really follow God. It also had elements of Jewish legalism where people would expect them to follow a set list of rules and regulations so that they could please God. It also called for worshiping angels and for seeking mystical experiences. Interesting that all of these things that were present in the Colossian heresy are present today. Epaphras was so concerned that he went all the way to Rome to speak with Paul while he was in jail. And so Paul, along with Timothy, as you see in verse 1, Paul and Timothy write to people who were humble, they were sincere, they were seeking God, and they were living in a culture hostile to dependence upon God. People in those days were hawking truth like it was a secret commodity. These little Gnostic empires were springing up, promising to reveal secret, hidden uh, knowledge above Scripture. Reserved for the select few. Necessary, they said, for salvation and for understanding God. And legalists abounded. They expected you to follow their set rules and regulations so that you would feel this great sense of peace over having accomplished something and checking the things off the list one by one. And what they both were giving was not from the Spirit of God. They were man-centered philosophies. They were a non-gospel, 
paint-by-the-numbers type of a system that if you just did these things or bought into their system of seeing the world and understanding God that everything would be well with you. And it was very deceptive, as it is today. It's, it's, it's very attractive, even, in teaching. It's, it's, it's intoxicating, really. Making people feel superior. Making people feel right. A cut above the rest. But they promise what they cannot deliver. They promise freedom, but they lead to a yoke of slavery. They promise peace, but they lead to misery. They promise satisfaction, but they lead to discontent. So to these friends that Paul had never met, he writes, Paul, an apostle by the will of God, verse 1 tells us, and he tells them how they are linked. So they didn't know each other, but they were linked. Because he says that he and Timothy always prays for them. Did you catch that in verse 9? He said, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. They are praying for them all the time. He also says the same thing in verse 3. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. They were doing what Christians are supposed to do. And and, and Paul said, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You heard this through the the word of truth, the gospel. It's come to you and and you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. There was a lot to to encourage the the Colossian church with. And Epaphras, their fellow servant in verse 7, Paul says, you learned it from him. And he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and was made, has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras had gone to Paul, had told them about the dear, beloved people in Colossae, but also about what was threatening the church. So this is why Paul is writing. They had heard of their love in the Spirit and they, they knew of the spiritual dangers present and so they prayed. They prayed. Isn't it wonderful to know that you have people praying for you? When someone tells you, I've been praying for you. I am thankful for people like that in my life. My my mind first goes to my mom. Uh, She prays for me every Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. And she reminds me. Told me that yesterday. Some of you are praying now. You pray as I preach. And it's a good thing praying for God's word to bear fruit in us. You're praying for God's word to be gladly received and handled accurately and lived out in our lives so that God will get glory. As I prepare to preach each week, I pray for you. This week I prayed exactly the same words that Paul prayed for the Colossian church. Things that can't happen unless God does them and we cooperate. So let's look at a few things that we can see that God wants to do for believers with regard to his heart desires for his church his will the first verse Colossians 1 9 contains three things that God will do for his people so that they can know and do his will and these are things we depend upon God to do sometimes we don't we're not even aware that God is doing them we're not even aware that we should ask for them But these are the things that enable us to do what he wants us to do. 
And these were the things that comprised the heart of Paul's prayer for the people at Colossae. The first thing that he prayed for, the first thing that God does, is that God fills us with the knowledge of his will. They prayed for God to fill them. Literally, to fill them full of his truth. That they would be filled with knowledge of what he wants. Knowledge. It's interesting that he uses some words that the Gnostics were using. But this was God's knowledge, not man's knowledge. This was God's knowledge. And knowledge is knowing what to do. Knowing what to do. To, it means to know exactly. It means to recognize it when you see it. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. God wants, you to, God wants to fill you with his knowledge, knowledge of his will. So that's the first thing. God fills us with the knowledge of what he wants. The second thing, that that Paul prays for, that God does, is God gives us the ability to know how to do what he wants. Look at the, the, the other phrase. He says, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. Again, it was spiritual wisdom, wisdom from the Spirit of God. The Greek word for wisdom is Sophia. I love that word. That's why I named my, my baby Sophia. And, and it just sounds wonderful. Sophia, wisdom, is skill given by God's Spirit. Skill given by God, an ability to do given by God's Spirit. See, God wants to fill you with His wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how. Knowledge is knowing what. Wisdom is knowing how. Not just knowing what to do, but knowing how to do it. That brings confidence. It's, it's skill. Wisdom is skill. And it's basically, if you think about a skill that you have to do anything, whether it's woodworking or working on cars or cooking or, or what have you, wisdom is skill. It's an awareness coupled with an ability. You know what to do and you know how to do it. So wisdom is knowing how to do what you know you need to do. There's a third thing that God does and Paul prays for. And it's this, that God enables us to cooperate with what he wants. This is seen in the words, in the word understanding. The word spiritual really refers to wisdom and understanding. So he says, are we praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and all spiritual understanding. Understanding that comes from the Spirit of God. And these words um, seem so connected, and they are, but they're not the same. He's not saying the same things three times. Wisdom uh, is knowing how, that knowledge, knowing what to do. But understanding is, is knowing the reason why, knowing the purpose behind it, and, and then it leads you to, to doing that very thing. It's not enough to have the wisdom to know how to do it if you never do it. Well, I know how to dunk a basketball. Well, that, that's knowledge. I don't have the wisdom 
to dunk a basketball. I, I've dreamed of having the wisdom to dunk a basketball, but I don't have the wisdom to dunk a basketball because I, I don't have the ability. I can't jump. And so, I can't even get to the understanding level in dunking basketballs in hoops because I'm not able. You've got to have knowledge and then wisdom and then understanding. It, it is a, there's a flow here. That's why Paul's praying it that way. It makes a lot of sense. Understanding leads to doing what you know to do. So what about the things we do know to do and the things that he's praying about? He doesn't want us to know how to dunk basketballs. He wants us to know how to do what God wants, what God expects, what God requires, what God enables. And so, you see in 2 Timothy 2.7, the Lord gives understanding. You see it in the book of Proverbs all over the place. Wisdom and knowledge and understanding, all from God. Gifts from God. These are things that God does and we are to pray for. We're to pray for these. How do I know we're to pray for these? Because Paul did. We're to pray for God to do these things. That's why I was praying for you this week and for myself and for the church and for believers that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wonderful. But it leads to action because that third aspect is the fact that God enables us to cooperate with what he wants. Why does God want to fill us with the knowledge of his will? God wants us to know and to do his will so that we would glorify him. It really is as simple as that. And, and next what you see in this passage is what God wants to have happen as a result of granting people his understanding and his wisdom and his knowledge. It's so that they would do what is necessary. This process by which we discern the will of God is crucial. It's of utmost importance. And so, for the remainder of this time, what I want to do is, is focus on the rest of this prayer. Not in perfect order, but in an order that makes sense uh, in my life as I discern the will of God. And it fits in terms of what Paul is praying. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this. Basically, it's part of the sentence, part of, the, part of the, the, what he's saying he's been doing. He goes, I've been praying with a purpose. I've been praying so that something will happen. That's why you pray. And he said this, so as to, so as to, it's so that you would do now these things. What is it? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And it goes on. So, so in order to do God's will, and I'm going to give you six things here, six things, the first is this. In order to do God's will, in order to know God's will, you need to love Jesus above everything. Love Jesus above everything. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. That's what Jesus said. But you are to love Jesus above all. Verse 10 says this, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. There it is. That's loving Jesus above all. 
walk means to live. You've probably seen that in other places in the Bible, but walk doesn't mean, I like to walk, and I walk a lot, but it's not like just regular walking, it's how you live your life. So you walk, you live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Worthy means that you live in a manner consistent with Jesus. That you live in a way that identifies you as someone who has been saved. In order to know God's will, you need to be saved. And you need to be living a life of integrity that is is consistent with what you believe. You shall love the Lord your God. What what you need, first and foremost, in order to know the will of God, is to, to believe the gospel and be saved. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Romans 1.16. And here is a, a, a summary of the gospel. Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord and Christ. And mankind is lost without him. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus died on on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood in our place. There is salvation in no one else but Jesus Christ. Jesus took our place and our sin. And and your sin has eternal consequences. God has said that all are to repent. He knows some will not, but all are to repent. Because there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of reckoning. Hell is real. You might want to count up how many times I've said hell in the last few weeks. There is a heaven too. And hell is real. And if you don't come to Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. If you come to faith in Christ, you will spend eternity in a real place called heaven. But if you don't come to Christ, you will spend eternity in hell separated from God. And all that is good. Repentance and faith are necessary. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. They are necessary. It's not, oh, just pray this prayer and you'll go to heaven. You know, a lot of gospel presentations leave Jesus out of the equation. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and, 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 and you need to repent from your sins turn from your sins believe in Christ you need to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved and join a Bible believing gospel preaching church and you need to be baptized too that's what, that's what the Bible teaches if you want to know God's will you need to know God it's as simple as that if you don't know him then if you're trying to pray, he's not listening to you. If you know Jesus, you need to live a life, as verse 10 says, fully pleasing to God, pleasing him in all respects. And that is a result of being rightly aligned with God. You're driving your car down the street. And it's, 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 it, you let your, your hands off the wheel. And it it veers to the right. Your car's out of alignment. You need to get it aligned. Well, some people's lives are 
out of alignment. They, they are not going in the way of God. You've got to be aligned with God. Your soul is in jeopardy if you're not aligned with God. Now, all true believers, hey, we, we, we sin. But if the pattern of a person's life is continually that way, they're probably not saved. Fully pleasing to God, pleasing Him in all respects. This is, this is being rightly aligned with God. This is doing the things He wants. Think about it. Parents, you don't always want your kids just asking you for things, do you? You're not going to give it to them. You want your kids to crawl up in your lap and hug you, even if they're a teenager. And, and you, you want them to tell you that they just want to be with you. That's what kids want with their parents, too. They don't want them to just give them things. They want to, to be with them. Well, if you want to know the will of God, you need to want to be with God. You want to need to, you want to be with Jesus. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Relate to Jesus. Have a relationship with Jesus. It's not some mechanical, I'm being, I'm a Christian, I'm going to live this mechanical life. That's not the Christian life. So you can do uh, verse 10, fully pleasing to God when you are so in love with Jesus, you don't want to be with anyone else. You know, it's like when you first get married. You don't want to be with anyone else but your spouse. But some people's love grows cold. They want to be as far away from their spouse as they can. What's that all about? God does not intend that for marriage, and God does not intend that for the Christian life. So no, you want to love your spouse so much, you'll do anything for them. When you want to love Jesus so much, you'll do anything for him. Anything that pleases him. Psalm 25, verse 14 tells us that the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. That the Lord confides in, that the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. That he makes them know his covenant. He, he reveals to him their, his covenant. The Lord advises them. God is your advisor if you're living a life fully pleasing to him. Think about it. You tell trusted friends your secrets. You don't tell people who have lied to you your secrets. You don't tell total strangers your secrets. You tell your closest friends. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. So the first thing you need to do in order to do God's will is love Jesus above all. The first thing. The second thing is that you need to saturate yourself with the Word of God. Some of you like to grill. It's not barbecue. That's from the South and other places in the grill. We like to grill in California. You set, to do that, you, a lot of times you've got to marinate the meat. It's, sometimes it's kind of tough, and you need to marinate the meat in you know, juice of some sort. And, and it takes on the flavor of the marinade, does it not? You need to marinate in God's word. Soak in it. To do that, you've got to be around it. Be seeking it. Verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the idea of, of marinating in the Word of God, soaking in the Word of God. Many who claim to believe in Jesus aren't doing that. And therefore, they're kind of maybe sprinkled with it. You know, a little bit of flavor, maybe. 
maybe. They have uh, enough to be dangerous, maybe. But they aren't flavored by it. I remember one time I was, in, my, in the early days at Downey First Baptist, Doug Roller was, was teaching to the junior high group, and I was in the room. And uh, he used an example of a pickle. He had a pit, big dill pickle, and he says, he goes, you know, a Christian's got to be consistent. Uh, you take a bite out of a pickle, it's a pickle. And you take a bite out of the other end of the pickle, it's a pickle. And it's all the way through, it's a pickle. It's, it's just all, it's pickled. You've got to be pickled in the Word of God. And a lot of people expect God to speak to them. They don't want to have an open Bible. They just say, eh, just give me something. Oh, I just need something. Uh, I need a word from God. Well, you got one. God's, uh, God's objective word must rule in our hearts, not our subjective feelings and assumptions. We need to know it. We need to believe it. We need to hold to it. I assure you, when I was praying over the big three decisions of my life up to this point, my nose was in the book. I was praying. I was scouring Scripture. I was devouring Scripture. You know, a lot of people are, um, what's the word when it comes to food? Uh, gluttonous. They eat way too much. More, as, as a man in India once told me, more than is necessary. I don't think that you could eat too much of God's Word. Now, I, a lot of people take it in and never, and never share it. That's not good either. But I don't think you could eat too much of God's word if you love Jesus more than anything. Some things, you know, you, hey, don't eat too much. It'll be, it's going to, you know, it's bad for you. No, eat as much as you want. Eat, eat, eat as much as you want. Go back for seconds and thirds. Pile it high and deep. Take a doggy bag home. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, is profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate. That you're fitted for what God wants you to do. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Saturate yourself in the word of God. Third thing that you need to be doing if you want to know the will of God is devote yourself to prayer. Colossians 4.2 says that. Be devoted to prayer. We saw, I read it already, but in verses 3 through 9 of Colossians 1, he talks about how they, they, they've prayed for them ever since the time they heard of their faith. In verse 9 he says, We have not ceased to pray for you. You need to be a prayer warrior. You need to do battle on behalf of other believers. You know, this is not fun and games time in which we are living. There's a lot of things going on in the world that are uh, bringing things into upheaval. It's been going on for a long, long time. But for those of us alive, it, 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 it just increases, does it not? Just the other day, the, the huge earth, earthquake in, in, in Japan and the tsunami and people are being, you know, uh, floating down rivers to a Christless eternity. People are dying all over the place. And what are we doing? A lot of times Christians are just contemplating their belly button, their navel, you know. I think there's something going on. I've got, I got to be all, oh, I'm so focused on me. Well, you know what? There's other things. You know, we get very myopic. It's like only see what's right in front of us. There's a whole world outside of us. 
We got to get a life. I got to get a life. We got to devote ourselves to prayer. You know, some people think the way is dark before them. Some people are like, I, I just can't understand. I have no clear direction from God. Well, I feel like that a lot of the time. But I have found when I am doing what God wants me to do, the fog seems to lift. And I know why some people can't see spiritually. And I found it again this week, but in, in, a, in a bigger way, as I was looking at these verses and others. Go with me to Psalm 25. Because there is a direct connection between something in the Christian life and getting direction from God. And it does have to do with prayer. Psalm 25. I've already referred to it. But let me read it to you again. Psalm 25. And verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. Now go over with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and verse 8. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Awesome. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Wonderful. I want that, don't you? But there is something in both of these psalms that you cannot miss. I have missed it for years. Let's start at the beginning of verse 25, uh, Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you will be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O oh Lord. There, I want to know your will. Teach me your paths. Oh, yeah. To lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Yeah, preach it, right? Verse 6. Remember your mercy, O oh Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. He's confessing sin. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Do you see the connection? There is a direct connection between confessing sin and getting direction from God. You don't know where to go in life? Maybe, maybe you need to confess some sin. Verse 30, uh, Psalm 32. Same thing. Just stronger. Verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, that's about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Of course you can't see God's will when you're in that situation. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I don't know if there's more beautiful words in scripture for the person who's weighed down by their sin. And then, then, verse six, then let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you in a time when you may be found. You are a hiding place for me. And, and, and then God says, I will instruct you in the way. That you, of course I'm going to show you where to go. Devote yourself to prayer. Fourth, what else should you do? Well, I know that when I was praying about the big three in my life, I was seeking godly counsel. That's what you need to do. Seek godly counsel. Verse 12 says, Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. A lot of people want to think of that only as heaven. Yeah, someday we're all going to be in heaven together. Well, we're here right now together too. And God expects us to interact with one another and to challenge each other and to encourage each other and to exhort each other and to help each other and to pray for each other. And to seek each other's godly counsel. Know anyone you really trust? Do you know anyone that you respect? And you respect their relationship with Jesus? And they're humble and gentle like Jesus? And and they're humble, bold? Not afraid to say what they need to say? So that when you ask them, they're going to really tell you? And their gospel changed? And they're a servant leader? Well, then ask them their opinion when you need help. Ask for their godly counsel. It's interesting that uh, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes you ask with wrong motives to spend them on your own desires. But we need to seek godly counsel. We are not independent contractors as believers. A lot of people will try to get you to think that. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. No, it is not. We are part of a body. We are part of a family. We need one another. I am so thankful to God. I've been blessed with some really, really wise friends. I I always like to say my friends are always kinder people than me, but they're also wiser people than me. And so I, I ask them their advice, and they give me solid, godly, biblical, wise counsel. Not 100% of the time, though. Not 100%, because they're not God. I, I, I tell people often, I don't do hardly anything alone. I just don't. I, I, I hardly make any, I, I don't know of any decisions I really make alone that matter. But I don't ask people who've lied to me. I don't ask people who are not trustworthy. I don't ask total strangers. And I certainly don't ask unbelievers for godly counsel. They can't give it. Seek godly counsel. The fifth thing, exercise wisdom. James 1.5 says that if you lack wisdom, ask God, he will give you wisdom. Verse 11 in, in, in Colossians 1 says that to be strengthened with all power, that's the power of Christ. It says attaining all steadfastness, endurance, and patience, basically. That's enduring in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in trials and hardships, and that it means you've got to exercise wisdom. Epaphras prayed in 
Colossians 4.12, that they would stand firm in all the will of God. It takes wisdom. And by the way, I'm going to give you the last one, and we've got to close. I'm going to, we're not going to do the last page of my sermon notes, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you, especially if you read my blog yesterday and I told you I would tell you today, so I have to keep my word and tell you today what the bottom line is on knowing the will of God. Okay? Now, that's the sixth thing. Let me just say this. If you've been doing the first five, if you're doing the first five, then you can freely do the next thing. But if, if not, don't even think about it because you will do it for the wrong reasons, for your own selfish motives, and in your own benefit and not the glory of God. So you've got to be doing the first five as a regular part of your life and not just like, ooh, check the box, did it. This is a relationship with Jesus we're talking about here. So here's the last thing. If, um, if, if these things are true and real in your life, you basically can't go wrong, so do whatever you want. That's it. Do whatever you want. Some of you are giving me a little bit of a blank stare. Verse 12, Colossians 1, joyously giving thanks to the Father. It's, it's the idea of being so free in Christ because you're not weighed down with the stuff that blocks freedom in Christ. You're getting clear reception. You can hear. God does not play hide and seek. His will for your life is real. He has a will for your life. And he will reveal it. He's not going to like go, hey, I ain't going to hold it from you. But you need to be in the right place to receive it. When I was playing ball with my, I've coached a lot of sports, you know that, I coached baseball for a long time, and Michael and I would be in the front yard and we'd be throwing a baseball around and he wasn't catching it. And I remember asking a buddy of mine, hey, when did you, who's a couple years older than Michael, I said, when did he get it? He goes, I don't know, just one day he started catching the ball and wow, our our playing catch really, really took off from there. (laughs) I wasn't chasing balls down the street. Because he was throwing it wild and not catching it. But you got to be in the right place and have the the knowledge and and, and the understanding and the wisdom to do it, right? But you get it. You get it. God is going to reveal his will to you, but you need to be in the right place to receive it, to cooperate with it. The Spirit of God will guide you according to the the Word of God to know and do the will of the Father. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You're going to be having desires that, want, that please God. You're going to be going along. You know, I wish that I could say that after 26 plus years of knowing Jesus, I had discovered this foolproof method of figuring out the will of God. But I just haven't. The idea is that we need to trust God every step of the way. You know why? If there was this blueprint that just came down out of heaven, we wouldn't need to trust God. We could just go take it and run. No, no, God wants us to walk with him, to trust him every step of the way for everything he gives. Like It's like that manna in the wilderness, day by day, 